Good morning. I need to move this closer. I want to be close to you guys. Dude, David Keck. Is David Keck in here? Was that not amazing? Oh, my goodness. Do you know David Keck wrote that? I was like, David, we want to do this spoken word, and I'm talking on grace, so can you make something? And he creates that. It was just amazing. Uh, Before I start, uh, I'd like to introduce my family. My family came to support me. And so uh, I'm going to say your name, and then you can wave or something. Uh, Will, my cousin Will is married to my cousin Jennifer. Uh, My cousin Leslie is the daughter of Aunt Sally. Wave, Aunt Sally. And then Amanda is my cousin and is my Aunt Donna's daughter. And I'm thankful that they're here. And and before I start this morning, I felt, uh, I feel like sometimes we take people for granted. And so I feel like, I felt like this morning that I would start just by thanking people uh, for, for just the impact they've had on my life. And I want to thank my Aunt Sally and my Aunt Donna. I remember uh, coming down here uh, last year. My mom dropped me off. I didn't know anyone. I felt like I was all alone. And, and you guys blessed me. You bought me food. You bought me deodorant, which, thank God, you did that. Detergent. I mean, you blessed me so much. And, and I just want to say thank you. I appreciate Uh, what you guys did. My cousins, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. And and each and every one of you, I love you. Julia Stubbs. Is Julia Stubbs here? Well, I was going to thank her, but she missed her opportunity. Uh, T-Swag. Man, I just want to thank you for being my accountability partner, for for caring enough about me to send a text this morning to say, Benji, I believe in you. You're going to rock it. Thank you. Buck, Dude, I've never met a person who sings my praises as much as you. Every time I'm around you, you encourage me, you build me up. Thank you, I appreciate you. David Keck, you're like a brother to me. I remember last year, and I could come to your room, and we'd just talk, we'd share life. I appreciate you, and I, I don't thank you enough for the role that you played in my life and what you've done in my life. And I wish I could go around and thank every single person for what you've done because you've made an impact in my life one way or another, but I am restricted by time. But just know I love you. I appreciate what you've done in my life. And this morning, uh, we've been doing this series on grace and and the origins of grace, inception. And, And Colby came and he talked to us about the beginnings of grace and how grace was even here during creation. And and then Zach came and spoke last week about chosen by grace and how Abram was chosen not by anything he did, but by God's grace he was chosen and how each and every one of you are chosen by God's grace. And this morning I want to talk to you about surprising grace, being surprised by grace. And I want to go over the story of Jacob's sons, and mostly Joseph and Judah. And and Joseph, who, let me give you a little bit of background. Jacob, he he wants to marry Rachel, and Laban ends up giving him Leah. That's one of those bad surprises when you wake up in the morning. And and so he has to work seven more years for Rachel, the one he loved. And, And when they were married, Rachel, God closed Rachel's womb 
because he saw that Leah wasn't loved. And so Leah had all these kids, and, and then they had this battle. Rachel's like, since I can't give you kids, have my concubine. Or not my concubine, have my maidservant. And, and, and there's this battle until finally Rachel's womb is open, and she has Joseph, and she dies while having Benjamin. And so we see, even at the beginning, Joseph was the favorite son. And uh, Joseph was the favorite son. Jacob, he, he made Joseph this coat of many colors. And it was a constant reminder to his brothers of how much Jacob loved Joseph more than them. And if that wasn't bad enough, Joseph, he started having these dreams and in Genesis 37, if you can put that on the, I'm going to read it to you. Joseph 37, starting in verse 5 through 11. Is it? Okay, you'll just have to listen, I'm sorry. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Verse 8 says this, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream. And at that point, Joseph, he knows he's the favorite. And so he's telling these dreams in a way to just egg his brothers on. And I know that mentality because I have brothers, and I like to egg them on. And he's one of the youngest, and so maybe it just runs in that. But this would be a good time to stop. It's not bad that he had the dream. It's bad that he's rubbing the dream into his brothers. And he can see the anger that's being built in him, but he continues to tell him another dream. In verse 9, he says this, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he said this to his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? In verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. And, and so what we see Joseph doing, he's sowing bitterness, jealousy, and hatred in, in the hearts of his brother toward him. And, and a lot of times we don't look at uh, sowing and reaping like this. And, and we look at it in the New Testament, how I plant a seed in, in someone's heart and I pray for a harvest. I pray that I reap a harvest. Or I sow my money in offering in the hope that I'd reap a benefit. So I want to show you just a little different kind of sowing. Joseph, he sowed hatred, bitterness, and jealousy. He knew it was getting at his brothers and he kept doing it. He kept sowing these seeds. And hatred is nothing less than murder waiting to happen. And his brothers leave, and they go and tend the flocks. And Jacob says, Joseph, I'm going to give you some stuff to take to your brothers. 
go check up on them, see how they're doing, and report back to me. And, and so Joseph puts on his coat of many colors, and, and he goes to find his brothers. And, and in Genesis 37, verse 18 through 20, it says this. They saw him in the distance. They saw Joseph. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I want to do a side point, two things about dreams. Number one, be careful who you share your dreams with. I remember I was in high school and I was talking to my youth pastor and he said, Benji, what, what are your dreams? What do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a worship leader at the biggest church in North Dakota. And, and he laughed at my dream. And I understand my dream might have been naive. I, I'm not a good singer and I don't play music. But when he, when he laughed at me, he not only killed my dream, he killed something inside of me. Uh, one time I was at Donna's, she asked me to come speak at her 8th grade Bible class. And, and I, I shared my testimony and then uh, at the end, somewhere in there I said... Uh, go after the dreams that you have because they're probably of God. Something along those lines. And, and I remember I had this little girl come up to me, eighth grade girl, and she said, Benji, I really like what you said about dreams because I want to work with tigers one day. And I thought, I didn't say this, but I thought, uh, I think you missed the point. I was kind of talking about dreams that God has given you that can change the world, that are going to meet a need, that are going to do all this. And, and so I could have shot this dream down, but instead I said, that's awesome. I wish you the best in it and keep praying to God about your dreams. Why? Because if I would have killed her dreams, it would have killed something else inside of her. There are two kinds of people, dream killers and dream builders. I believe it's not my job to kill a dream, it's my job to build up a dream and let God do the rest with the dream. Don't be a dream killer, be a dream builder. And number two, what are your motives in telling other people your dreams? Joseph, his motive behind telling his brothers his dream wasn't so they would build it up or say, Joseph, you're awesome. It was to get under their skin and say, hey, I'm better than you. Dad loves me more than you, and watch this, you're going to bow down to me. And not only are you going to bow down to me, mom and dad are going to bow down to me. And, and, and so we see this, point number one, you reap what you sow, but God's grace has the final say. Joseph had been reaping hatred, and, and we read earlier, hatred is nothing less than murder waiting to happen. So what he was sowing in his brother's hearts was nothing less than murder waiting to happen. And when his brothers saw him, they took him and they threw him in the pit. And the Bible says they were eating and they were deciding what they were going to do with him. And then they see this caravan. I call it the grace of God. They saw the grace of God, this caravan. And Judah came up with this idea. Brothers, what good is it for us to kill our brother and have his blood on our hands? Why don't we just sell him and gain a profit? So what happened is, Joseph 
reap, was about to reap death, but the grace of God came in, and there was another way, and they sold him instead of killing him. You reap what you sow, but God's grace has the final say. And then, so they sell Joseph, and, and they go back to their dad's house, and they say, how, how can we make this good? How can... So we don't get in trouble. And, and they decide they take his robe, they rip it, and then they put goat's blood on it. And, and Judah takes it to his dad, and he said, hey, dad, we found this. Is this Joseph's? Do you know whose it is? And Jacob, of course, he made it. And, and he said, this is my son's, and surely he is dead. And, and he mourned for days, it says. He put sackcloth on. He put sackcloth on, sackcloth on, and it said they, the family tried to comfort him, but he wouldn't allow it. He wouldn't be comforted. And, and what's surprising to me, there's nothing in the Bible that says the brothers regretted what they did. There's nothing in the Bible that says when they saw their dad, they were filled with guilt and they told him. Instead, what happens next is Judah decides he needs to leave and start his own family. And, and this isn't in the Bible, but I think maybe the pain of seeing his father and realizing what he did, he couldn't take it anymore, so he had to get out. That's just my input into the Bible. It's not on there. It's kind of extra biblical or whatever you want to say. And, and so Judah, he moves out, and he starts his own family. And, and the Bible says his sons got old enough to be married, and in Genesis 38, 6 through 10, it says this. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. So here we have Judah has these three sons, the oldest Ur, and he goes to get married to Tamar. He's wicked, so God kills him. And in that culture, it's the duty of the next brother in line to take his brother's wife so he can create offspring for his brother. And what is his name? Onan. Onan? Onan, he decides, this ain't going to be my offspring. Why would I keep my brother's seed around? And so he spills the seed on the ground. And God says, you're wicked too. Die. And he, he dies. And then... There's the third brother, Shela, Sheila. It's a weird guy name, but it is a guy. And here's Shela and Sheila. I'll say Sheila. Sounds manly. And here's Sheila, and it's his duty to marry Tamar now. But Judah says, Judah makes an excuse, and he says, Sheila isn't old enough. Tamar, go back to your father's house, dress as a widow until my son is old enough, and then I'll have you marry him. But really what he was saying is, woman, you killed two of my sons like I'm going to give you the third one. 
and he never said that, but, but we see it later on as we keep reading. It says this, Tamar realized that Judah wasn't going to fulfill his promise. Sheila had become of age, and Judah had stopped talking to her, and he did not fulfill his obligation. So Tamar decided, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And she heard that Judah was coming to the city. And so Tamar, she gets out of her widow clothing, and she gets in her prostitute gets in her she gets in prostitute apparel and, and goes and meets him and goes outside the gate and it says Judah walked by he didn't recognize who it was and, and he just knew that it was a prostitute and he said can I sleep with you and she said it'll cost you a goat and, and that's the going rate I guess and he said I don't have a goat and she said okay give me your your uh, three things that Hold on. Give me your seal, its cord, and your staff. Basically, it'd be like me giving you my driver's license, my social security card, and my SAGU ID. She said, give me that, and then when you send the goat, I'll give you your stuff back. Why? Because she knew Judah's reputation. She knew how Judah was, so she needed something to know that he wouldn't back out. And, and so... They sleep together, whatever, and, and they go back their separate ways. Uh, Tamar, she gets back into her widow clothing, and, and Judah goes back and he sends, he sends someone to send the goat, and they look all around the city, and no one knows where the prostitute is. No one even knows of the prostitute. And, and so he calls him back, and he says, hey, let's just forget about it. I'm a pillar in the community. I don't want to be a laughing stock in the community, let's just forget this ever happened, let's shove this sin under the rug and not worry about it. And then a few weeks later, it says this, Tamar, what does it say? I lost my train of thought. It says Tamar became pregnant and she was showing, showing signs of pregnancy and they said she must have been in prostitution because she's a widow. And the news gets to Judah, and he says, She has defiled my name. She has sinned against my son. Burn her at the stake. And they're just about uh, to kill her. They're just about to kill her. And before they take her, she sends these three identification things to Judah. And she says, Whosoever these belong to is the father of my baby. It's my baby's daddy. And Judah sees these things and realizes what happened. And he says, she is more righteous than I am. What happened? Judah, his sin had been found out. Point number two, no matter what you've done, God will not withhold his grace from you. And later on we see that Judah, he goes to Egypt because there's a drought, and they end up meeting Joseph again, who becomes second in command. And, and, and through circumstances, Jacob finds out Joseph is still alive, and so all the dirty stuff from Judah's past was starting to pop up. Everyone knew 
what he did to his brother, how he deceited his father, sold his brother into slavery, how he solicited a prostitute, and how he was going to have the woman that he committed sin with put to death. And he was going to shove his sin under the rug. And it all came out. But then there came a point when he was in Egypt where his brother Benjamin was caught stealing something that he didn't actually steal. It was put on him. But anyway, he gets taken in front of Joseph. And Judah finally proves himself a a character change, maybe you could call it. And he puts his back on the line for his brother. And then we read, and we read this as Jacob's going to the end of his life. He, in that culture, as the dads were coming to the end of their life, they would call in their oldest son and bless him, and, and they would get the inheritance. And so it was that stage. And Jacob, he called in Reuben. This is all in Genesis 49, 3 through 10. But he called in Reuben. I'll paraphrase it for you. He called in Reuben, Reuben the oldest, who, who should have got the blessing, the inheritance. And he said, Reuben, you slept with one of my concubines. You defiled my bed, so you do not receive the blessing. And he sent him away. And then he called in the next two, Simeon and Levi. And he said, you two were men of murder. In your anger, you killed people. You two are murderers and killed men in anger, so they did not receive the blessing. And next in line was Judah. And if we all think about it, obviously the rightful son to get the inheritance, to get the blessing was Joseph. He was the only son who never lost his integrity. When he was in Egypt, Potiphar's wife threw herself on him, and he did not lose his integrity. He held on to his character. He was upright in everything he did. Rightfully so, he should have received the inheritance. But Judah comes in, and it says this. Jacob said this, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. What do we see? Judah receives the blessing. After all he'd done, the deceit, the lies, the sin he lived in, but yet he gets the blessing. Why? Because God's grace allows us to receive what we don't deserve. And no matter what you've done, God will not withhold his blessing from you. And and if you put it all together, Jacob his name was turned into Israel. And his 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. And and if you look at the tribe of Judah, it was the tribe where the kings came from. The King David came from the tribe of Judah. The greatest man to ever walk the earth, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ came from the line of Judah. This man who didn't deserve anything, and yet he's known in history as his descendants being the savior of all mankind. He didn't deserve it, 
but God's grace is abundant. And he will not withhold his grace from you. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you've hurt. God's grace will not be withheld from you. Zach, if you can do your thing. I want to end with this. Point number three. You choose to either live in God's grace or let grace abound. And, I, and I've been, we've been talking about grace and, and how all these guys, they didn't deserve grace. And through all the things they did, God was still gracious to them. But that isn't a, a jail-free card that says, hey, I can do whatever I want. God's grace is enough. I'm swimming in this ocean of grace. I can live how I want. I can do whatever I want. In, in Romans, Paul writes this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What amazes me is when people say, I love God, but yet I kind of love this sin. Or I love Jesus, but I love the very thing that put him on the cross. Are you living a life... Are you living in grace or are you living that grace may abound? And let me tell you the difference. Grace may abound says stuff like this. God, I love you, but there's this sin issue that I just love. And I don't want to let it go. It feels good, whatever it is, I don't want to let it go. I love you, God. But why would, why would I let go of this? And in a moment, I'm going to let you roam and come to the altars but I want to know are you living in the grace of God or are you living that grace may abound because there's a difference in James he writes he who knows what to do and doesn't do it to him it is sin what is it that you're doing that you know you're not supposed to be doing it's time to let go, and I'm not asking for an emotional response. I'm asking for you to get one-on-one -on -one with God and say, God, how can I beat this thing? What do I have to do because I'm sick of this sin? It's saying, above all else, God, I put you first, and whatever I have to do, I'll do it. I just want to be done. Whether it's you need more than one accountability partner, whether whatever it is, don't just have an emotional response. Make a plan of action with God and say, God, what, what can I do to be better? Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for each and every one of these students, my friends. God, I pray that you would just speak to them. God, I pray that you would show them things that you want to rip out of their life and God, show them how they can do it. God, I love you. God, I love you. God, we just want to be close to you. Whatever it takes, God. God, I just want more. Amen. You guys, you can feel free to come to the altar, spread out.
and this is my direction. Whether you want more of God, whether you want to beat what you're struggling with, or maybe something stuck out at you in the message and you're just like, God, I, what does this mean? How can I do this? Whatever direction you feel, go for it. But go for God. You can come to the altar, you can spread out.